I want to begin this morning by telling you the story of Satan, his sort of uh, narrative, if you will. And in order to tell you his story, I want you in your mind's eye to think back and to sort of roll back the pages of history. Think back before your grandparents were born, back before the Middle Ages, back before Jesus was walking upon the earth. Roll back the mental clock in your brain even back before the time of David, before Abraham, before the Tower of Babel, before the flood, back even before Adam and Eve were eating fruit in the Garden of Eden. Roll your mind back all the way to the very dawn of time. And in a obscure hidden passage in the book of Ezekiel, we have there a description that God gives us of the person of Satan way back then. This is what he says about Satan. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you, adorned you, ruby, topaz and emerald, chrysolite, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. This is the description of Satan way back at the dawn of time. Notice he's much different than our typical picture of a little red devil with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. He is a guardian cherub, an angelic, supernatural, beautiful being. But the text continues. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. It doesn't say where that wickedness came from, but that it simply welled up within Satan. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. This is the very first scene and picture that we have of the person that we know as Satan. He was created good as a guardian cherub, an angelic being of great power. But it says that evil was found in him. This is one of the reasons why his designation in the Bible, one of the common designations for him is the evil one. Because he is the first creature in which evil is found. And that evil has consumed him. That is what he is characterized by. And because of that evil within him, God cast him out of heaven, off of the mountain of God, 
and threw him to the earth. Well, this is where Satan's story becomes entangled with our story. And in Genesis chapter 3, the first verses begin, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God has made. Now even though Satan is a guardian cherub and an angelic being, he chooses in his interaction with our human parents, Adam and Eve, to come to them and speak to them in the form of an animal we know as a snake. This is Satan who is speaking here through this serpent. And he says to the woman the very first words we hear Satan utter. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Eve responds, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Although Satan is not named in that passage, we can learn who he is as we see his story and his interaction with us as humans. One of his other designations besides the evil one is he is called the devil. The Greek word is diabolos. It means slanderer. It means deceiver. That's because the very first words that we ever hear him utter, he's slandering God. He's inferring that God is somehow not good, that he's withholding something from Adam and Eve, that there's something that they would benefit from having, and God, the giant killjoy, is keeping them from it. He's slandering God. He's also slandering and deceiving Adam and Eve. They explained to him what they were told, that all the trees were for them to enjoy. But this one tree, if they were to eat of it, they would experience death. But Satan slanders and deceives again and says, you will not surely die if you do this. This is why in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus speaking about those who do not yet believe in him, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now when Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning, he doesn't mean from the beginning of Satan's story. Because Satan was created good and perfect and holy. He means from the beginning of our story. From the beginning of humanity's story. That what we saw in Genesis 3, the very first activity Satan is doing is that he's lying. That is why he's called the devil. And because he lies and deceives and slanders with malicious intent. That humans 
Adam and Eve were separated from God. And with that, humanity was thrown in to death. That's why he's a murderer from the beginning. Now, by the way, as an aside, Satan's lies that somehow God is withholding good from us, that he's not really good, and that there will be no consequences if we choose to disobey him, those are the same lies he's still telling. Whether it has to do with the sickness that you're personally going through, whether it has to do with the concept of hell or the ideas of human sexuality, Satan is still lying to us, telling us that God is somehow not good and there won't be any real consequences if we disobey him. He's still doing the same thing he did from the beginning. The reason he's called the devil is because he's a liar and the father of lies. There is another common designation for him, and this is what we believe to be his name, which is Satan. This is why the S is capitalized when we use the word Satan. It's because Satan is our adversary. That's what the word means in Hebrew. You see, when he lies to Adam and Eve, he's not simply lying for the sake of lying. It's part of a plan that he has. When humans were created, we were created in the image of God. And God chose us as creatures created in his image to rule over his creation. But Satan, through what happened in Genesis 3, through the lies and slander, causes humanity to fall from that position. He does it because he wants that for himself. He wants to be the ruler of this world. And that's indeed what happens. As Jesus says in John chapter 12, referring to Satan, he calls him the prince of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul refers to him as the God of this age. In 1 John, John tells us the whole world is under the control of the evil one. In Revelation 12, he is described as Satan who leads the whole world astray. He is our adversary. He saw humanity loved by God, created by God to rule this earth, and he stepped in to deceive us so that we fell from that position that he might assume it. And that is where he is today, the ruler of the created world. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, the passage that you are looking at, it says in verses 1 and 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The ruler of the kingdom of the air or the prince of the power of the air. It's kind of a funny designation, but it refers to what we've just been talking about. That because Satan has stolen from humanity our rightful place of ruling this earth on God's behalf, he is the ruler of the power of the air. And that is why he is called Satan. Because he has set himself up as the adversary of humanity 
and the enemy of God. Satan's story can really be known by his three most common designations. He is the evil one because he is the first being in which evil appears and it has totally consumed him. He is the devil because he is a liar and a slanderer and has been that from the beginning of human history. And he is Satan, the adversary and the enemy because he has wrested control of this world from humanity and set himself up as our enemy and the enemy of God. That is who Satan is. How does he operate? I want to share with you some insights from the scriptures as to how Satan operates in this world. And there's really two things that I want you to know about how he exercises his influence in this world. In verse number two, the very last phrase of that verse, it says, he is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, when you first read that, you might have the sense that Satan is present in every person who is disobeying God. That's not what it means because Satan is a created being. It means he can't be in more than one place at a time. He is limited to a specific location. However, Satan did not only deceive humanity, he also deceived other angelic beings and a portion of the angels chose to follow Satan in his rebellion against God. And we know those angels today by the designation of demons. And that Satan is the prince of demons. He controls all of them. And with his army, his army of darkness, he exercises his control and power in this world. And he does it in two ways. The first is that Satan attempts to control humanity. Satan endeavors to control humans. He does this sometimes subtly through lying and tempting us to sin like Jesus when he's in the wilderness and Satan tries to get him to disobey God. He tempts him to disobedience. Or like in the case of Ananias, an early Christian in Acts 5, Peter says to Ananias, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Satan is the one who's whispering in Ananias' ear, hey, it's your money. Why don't you keep back some of it? Go ahead. Tell them you gave it all. It will make you look good. No one's going to know. This is his attempt to control. He wants to manipulate. He wants to move Ananias, Ananias into doing something he shouldn't do. Sometimes, however, Satan exerts his attempts to control in more direct ways. Like in the case of Judas, where it says, as soon as Judas took the bread, this is the bread on the Last Supper, the night before Jesus was betrayed. It says, when he took the bread, Satan entered into him. That's a more direct exertion of Satan's power to control. He's not whispering in Judas's ear. He has somehow come upon him 
and is now animating his activities and controlling what he says and does. We also see this in what we know as demonic possession. This is where Satan or one of his minions comes into a person and controls them in a more direct way. That's Satan's exercise of his power. He wants to control humanity. He does it sometimes subtly through manipulation, through lying, through temptation. And sometimes he does it in a more overt way where he actually takes control in the case of a person like Judas or those who are experiencing demonic possession, something that is not limited to the time of the Bible but is still true in the world today. That's the first way in which Satan exercises power in the world today. The second is through opposition. He not only seeks to control, he seeks to oppose God and the people of God. He wants to oppose what God is doing. Sometimes he does this through governmental structures and societal evil. Like in the case of Revelation, Jesus says to Christians, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, the devil's not a prison warden. He's not actually the one who is escorting Christians into their jail cell and locking the door. He is behind the scenes orchestrating things so that the judicial systems, so that the systems of the world, the governmental systems, work in opposition to what God is trying to do. This can happen today. If your local school board at your public school passes a resolution that kids are not allowed to talk about Jesus in school, that's Satan behind the scenes working and manipulating to try to oppose what's happening. It's not that the school board members are possessed by demons. It's that he is a liar and he is controlling and manipulating, wanting to oppose what God wants to do in this world. Sometimes that opposition takes the form of physical or emotional attacks. Paul tells us that he was tormented by a messenger of Satan, a thorn in his flesh. Jesus tells us about a woman who was bound with a physical malady for 18 years by the power of Satan, exercising opposition through physical attacks upon her. Even Jesus himself, when he tells his disciples he's going to have to suffer and die. And Peter says to him, no, don't do it that way. Jesus recognizes the opposition's not coming from Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Satan is seeking to discourage Jesus through these emotional attacks to oppose what he's doing. That's what Satan does. He works to oppose God's people and God's work in this world. That's how he's exercising his power today, through control and through opposition. But I've not shared with you yet the most important truth about Satan's power in the world today. Look back again in the passage in Ephesians 2. Notice that it says, 
as for you, speaking to those who are believers in Jesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You see, God is not oblivious to what Satan's been doing. He sees that his beloved creation, that you and I, who he created to be rulers of this world, that we have been deceived by our enemy and that we are now under his power. And so God did something about it. That in the person of Jesus Christ, who himself being fully God and therefore more powerful than Satan, became a human, fully human, as our representative in order that he might free us from Satan's power. This is what Hebrews 2 tells us. Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, he too shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See what the book of Ephesians is telling us just a few verses earlier, back in chapter 1. Look at verse 20, if you will. God's mighty power, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. That through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. God has appointed him to be over every spiritual power. What Paul's referring to there are the spiritual forces of darkness, and specifically Satan. That through Jesus Christ, Satan's power can be broken. Remember, we talked about how God's rescue for this world is happening in two stages one that is occurring now in the church for those who are believers in Jesus, and one that is coming in the future when Christ returns. So it is with Satan's power. It has been broken, but not eliminated. It has been broken for those who are believers in Jesus, but it's not been eliminated. He still is in control of the world. Christians have been set free. And so the most important thing we need to understand about Satan's power today is that it is broken, but not eliminated. Which leads to the very important question, how are we to relate to Satan's power today? And there are three observations I'd like to give you in closing. The first... Do not underestimate his power. Do not underestimate Satan's power. He's still able to tell the same lies he's always told, and those lies are easy to believe. 
It's easy to believe that God is not good, that he's somehow withholding from us something that we deserve. It's easy to believe that there won't be any real consequences if we disobey God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4 to Christians, do not give the devil a foothold. Don't open the door. He's too strong. If you start to listen to his lies, you will be deceived and you will begin to experience the pain of death again. Even as a believer, it's true that a believer cannot be possessed by Satan. But we can still be influenced. And his power to influence and attempts to control and to oppose are incredibly strong. Paul says, don't underestimate his power. This is not something you want to play around with. The moment you begin to believe his lies, he will come to own you again. Not in reality, but in functionality. For all intents and purposes, he will control you. This is why he says in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that we might take our stand against the devil and his schemes. Because our real battle is not with flesh and blood. It's not with other humans. They're not our adversary. Our adversary is Satan and the demonic forces. And Paul says, look, you can't fight with them using the weapons of this world. You've got to use the weapons God provides. That's why last week we said it's more important to talk to God about people than people about God. Because the best rhetorical devices, the best things we say, the best arguments, the best rationale is not going to open somebody's eyes. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. Don't underestimate his power. This is why in our country, when we look around our country and we see the pornography industry, the gambling industry, the destruction of marriage, the lack of civility in our conversations in the public realm, Satan is the one who is behind these things. He is the one who is sowing this discord. And the way to fight him is not through better legislation, not through better politicians, not through more discussion. Satan walks right through the middle of that stuff. He's too strong. Don't underestimate his power. But the gospel, righteousness, faith, the word of God, these are the weapons that are successful against this powerful adversary. The same is true in our church. Satan's goal is to destroy this place. Satan's goal is to destroy this fellowship. But when he wants to come through these doors, the thing that's going to hold him at bay is not the fact that we have a mission statement or that we've got our goals all laid out or that we've got nice committee structures. That's not going to stop him. But a church that takes sin seriously, a church that prays, a church that Jesus is running, that is a place that Satan cannot overcome. Don't underestimate his power. He cannot be fought with the weapons that the world provides. Logic, rhetoric, intelligence, words, legislation, goals, none of those things will stop him. 
Only the power that comes from God himself. So the first thing I want you to know is, please, do not underestimate his power. The second truth I want you to take away this morning, do not overestimate his power. Do not overestimate his power. Satan is not God. He is a created being. He cannot be in more than one place at a time. He cannot read your mind. He cannot have control over you unless you give it to him. Satan cannot harm a Christian unless God allows it. We see that in the story of Job. See, Satan is not an evil version of God. He is a created being underneath God's authority. He's always been under his authority and always will be under his authority. God is always more powerful than Satan. This is why the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's the one that's in the world? Satan. Who's the one that's in believers? The Holy Spirit. Remember, he is God's empowering presence dwelling in us. That means if you happen to be by yourself someplace and you mate Satan in all his power and all his glory in some back alley, you don't have to be afraid because the God of the universe dwells in you and Satan cannot overcome him. Greater is he that is in us. Jesus says, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and I give it to you. That as believers in Jesus, we have authority to cast out demons. We have authority to oppose Satan. We have authority to be able to recognize his schemes. All authority has been given to us. And that authority means don't overestimate his power. Satan is darkness, but in Jesus we are light. And when light comes up against darkness, it's always a mismatch. Darkness cannot overcome the light. So don't overestimate his power. The third thing I want you to take away from this morning is don't stay under his power. So far, most of what I've said are to people who are believers in the Lord Jesus. But there are some here today who are not yet believers in Christ. And the message for you this morning is, there are only two kingdoms in this world. God's and Satan's. And because of what Satan did at the beginning of our story, he is the ruler of this world and the default option is that we start in his kingdom. But God in his grace has provided rescue so that we might come out of his kingdom. And my urge to you is don't stay there. Now we like to think, well, there's actually three kingdoms, God's, Satan's, and mine. It doesn't work that way. Satan won't let you have your own kingdom. And neither will God. 
And if you think you are in charge of your own life, that you're making all of your own decisions, that you rule your own world, it's only because Satan is lying to you to manipulate you. He is a master of puppets pulling the strings behind the scenes because he wants to control and depose. He's too strong. And the urges don't stay there. He is consumed by evil. There is no good that comes from being in his kingdom. There is no joy. There is no peace. There is no love. There is only destruction. But Jesus has become one of us that he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That we might come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son that we might experience eternal life. And so if you're here this morning and you have not yet switched kingdoms, my urge to you is, is don't stay in Satan's world. Come and be part of the world God is recreating.